The Pac-12 and Big 12 have broke off talks, but what does it mean for Utah? You are Locked On Utes, your daily podcast on the Utah Utes. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, Utes fans, and thank you for making Locked On Utes your first listen every day. We are available on all platforms, including YouTube, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. On today's show, we're going to be going over what the the ending of the talks between the Pac-12 and the Big 12 means for Utah. And in order to help us sort all of this out, we decided to bring on Spencer McLaughlin, host of the Locked On Pac-12 podcast. Spencer, how are you doing today? Uh, great, JT. Good to be on with you and good to have the show back up and running. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. You know, June, July is close, is more the dead time news wise when it comes to college sports. And June was slow for most of it, but then June 30th is when everything broke loose. The news came through, and we got some more news coming in today with Pete Thamel reporting that the talks between the Pac 12 and the Big 12 have broken off. And the main thing with these talks were there was, they were actually pretty substantial. substantial. I mean, three Zoom calls going on and off for about two weeks as well. Sounds like there was a lot of conversation going on about things, whether it be a merger, pool play was discussed. I mean, scheduling concepts, there were lots of different things going on. And I wasn't, it just, originally when the news kind of came in that these things were talking, it was like, oh, I I thought it was going to get done. But then when it kind of went silent on it, I didn't think it was going to get done as much. And then it seems like this report from ESPN's Pete Thamel, who's kind of the main college football guy, really says these two teams aren't going to combine, at least for now. But what was your big takeaway from the report? Well, the the notable phraseology in in the story that you read there, JT, is that the Big 12 informed the Pac-12 that that talks were not going to continue. That is different from the Big 12 and Pac-12 were not able to reach an agreement. That is different than the Pac-12 has informed the Big 12. This was the Big 12 conference telling our beloved conference of champions that no, anything you're proposing here is not something we're interested in at this point in time. doesn't mean that they weren't initially, but they weren't able to iron out all of the details. And the way that this landed to me is that the Pac-12, and this is, this is definitely something that happened. This is not me speculating. The Pac-12 was looking at a full conference merger here, and it seems like that's what the Big 12 really wasn't going for. And they were wanting to just add the initial six teams that had been reported when these two conferences first were linked together in the headlines, and that was Utah and Colorado, the Arizona schools, Oregon and Washington. That's who the Big 12, I I think, is still interested in. And and other reports and rumors out there are uh, saying that that still could happen, but for now those talks have uh, certainly settled down more than they had about a a week ago at this time because this is just uh, such a fast-moving and uh, evolving sequence of events so that's still a possibility that those schools on their own could break away from the Pac-12 but you know what you have to feel here if you're a fan of one of the teams in the conference right now is you have to feel a little sense of pride and maybe a little sigh of relief for some of the schools that the Pac-12 didn't just abandon you they didn't say 
all right, well, why don't we officially go with you and we'll just take these teams and we'll leave a couple out that you don't want. No, they, they said, and George Klyovkov, the new commissioner, went in there very clearly saying, you're either taking all of us in this merger or you're taking none of us. And the Big 12 said, all right, well, then we're going to take none of you, but might pick up talks on the side with those member schools individually to say, do you want to just detach from the Pac-12 entirely and be a part of the Big 12, whether or not that happens remains to be seen, and we'll we'll continue to follow that, of course. But I think that, that, that there's some logic there from the Big 12's perspective. And I, I was surprised a little at first, but then as I thought about it more, it became uh, less surprising that, that there was nothing else worked out, that the Pac-12 went in and said, all right, can we get a merger? No, we can't. Then, you know, maybe I thought at first they might go to a scheduling uh, partnership, right, where you'd ensure that you'd have quality non-conference opponents for two conferences that are, are losing some pretty legitimate programs. Just from a football perspective, UCLA less so. Uh, USC hasn't been great, but they still are capable of being good. They will be that with Lincoln Riley, we, we all assume. And then the Big 12 losing Oklahoma and Texas, what you then need at that point if your conference is not as strong or quality non-conference wins. But that, again, wouldn't make a ton of sense because the Pac-12, I, I think, could revisit that at a later time, the, the the scheduling partnership with another league like the Big 12. But right now, I, I think they're having to reassess their options, and maybe that's picking up the phone, talking to the ACC, or maybe it, it's trying to ensure that the 10 remaining schools are going to stick with the Conference of Champions and you know you try to add two or four teams from, from the Mountain West and see if that's a viable path forward. But... Um, I think that initial line of, of the Big 12 told the Pac-12 the discussions weren't continue. That, that was the thing that stood out the most for me. Yeah, and I think one of the most interesting things you brought up there was kind of how uh, Commissioner Klyovkov kind of said, no, you're getting all of us if you want to come in on this. And if you look at it from the Big 12 side of things, you got a guy now in there with Bob Bowlesby stepping down and Brett Yormack. So these are two com- new, newer commissioners coming in here and trying to figure out how to navigate an unprecedented time in college athletics where, I mean, we don't even know by, if we're looking ahead to even something like 2026, who knows if teams will still be attached to the NCA could just be two super conferences, or maybe people do just, and maybe it's just a big, big 10, maybe it's just a big sec, or maybe the PAC 12 ends up still saying a thing. We really don't know what's going to happen. So it's interesting to see how these two such different schools and all the school programs and conferences really try to navigate everything with each one having such a difficult decision to make. And I think it is interesting for Utah. In the next segment, we're going to talk about kind of if they're going to end up going to the Big 12 because you talked about it. The Big 12 still kind of thinking about trying to poach a couple of Pac-12 schools potentially. It's going to be interesting to see how all of that plays out. But it does make it, it makes sense why they talked about it because both of these schools when you're looking at obviously for the new tv rights deals are coming up the big ones that tv markets are going to be looking at is they want tv networks are going to be looking at is going to be the sec and the big 10 of course but the pac-12 and the big 12 will still have value to those ones but not as much i think that's why they talked about combining a little bit but if you do something like where you pull the rights you're combining the kind of making it one less cop if you're in terms of power five conferences you're taking one of those power five conferences away basically and that's just power there's just four. And that way you're trying to kind of negotiate and see if you can raise your value by working together. But by working together, as you talked about, you're probably lowering some of the money. You're splitting that a little bit when you all come together. And in the end, that's why I feel like the talks probably fell through, but it is going to be interesting to see how they end up taking this because this was definitely something that was deeply considered and probably got farther along than most of us figured it would. 
Yeah, and, and from the Big 12's perspective, where they're ultimately landing, and understandably so, is, look, we feel like we can get value from adding the schools we are interested in, but if you add you know, Cal, Oregon State, Washington State, I think Stanford is uh, kind of hit and miss because they've got a big brand to an extent, but and they've also got a big market to an extent, but they don't have a lot of energy around their football program. So that might not be the most appealing team for the Big 12 to, to add right now, just from a, a football standpoint. But every time you add a school to your conference, each team is then getting a little bit less of the pie. So you have to be able to to negate that if you're a team coming into a league. And, and that's where the Big 12 ultimately reached a conclusion of, look, adding 10 schools is not going to, you know, bring in enough to offset the, the extra divvying of the money because it's all equal, right? The, the conference makes an equal payment to every school based on the total amount of revenue accumulated in, in the media rights deals with, uh, w- w- within these conferences. And so if you then are lessening the amount of money each school gets uh, as a league, you have to look around and ask yourself, like, would we be doing our schools a disservice by, you know, bringing in all these extra programs who we then have to pay money to and give less money to uh, the schools we already have here while not adding uh, a sufficient amount of depth or, or pedigree to the point where they feel that it's worth it and could pay off in the long run. So I, I certainly understand where the big 12 is coming from there. And um, I, I would not be surprised at all if, you know, the, the rumors start to start to swirl around once again with regards to adding schools like Utah, Oregon, Washington, Colorado, and, and the Arizonas as well. Uh, maybe all six, maybe a mixture of them, maybe two, maybe four, who knows. But I wouldn't be surprised if that comes back into the fold uh, just with with everything that's gone down. I'm not surprised by a whole lot at, at this point. Mm-hmm. And we're going to touch on what you were talking about there with will it be six teams, will it just be two teams, will it be no teams? We're going to talk about that in just a second. But first, I want to tell you guys about Built Bar's newest bar, Coconut Brownie Chuck Puff. From the people who invented healthy and tasty comes the latest gift to your taste buds. You've probably tried the amazing Coconut Brownie Chunk Built Bar, but guess what? Your friends at, at Built have given Coconut Brownie Chunk Puffs treatment. That's right, the Coconut Brownie Chunk chunk built bar flavor you love in a deliciously chewy marshmallow covered in 100% real chocolate. It's fluffy cloud of coconut brownie goodness. You guys know built bar. They're one of the best brands in the business, whether it's they combine what you want in terms of the energy and the health factor, as well as the taste factor built bar always brings, brings it coconut brownie chunk puffs are only here for a limited time. So go to built.com now to make sure you don't miss out. They're going fast because they taste amazing. Delicious chocolate, rich, sweet brownie, creamy marshmallow. Stop fantasizing. Get to built.com. Order your box of coconut brownie chunk built puffs right now. Offer go to built.com. Use promo locked 15 and get 15% off your order. Use promo locked 15. Which NFL stars move the betting line the most? Starting July 18th, Locked On gives you the 50 most valuable players in the NFL from the odds makers at Bet Online. Available July 18th on the Locked On NFL Network, wherever you get podcasts and on YouTube. So, jumping back into this, 
We talked about it. There are still rumors that even though the entire conference, the two conferences aren't coming together, there is definitely a chance that a couple of these conference, a couple of these teams could end up going over to the Big 12 still, or at least that's what the Big 12 wants to happen. Spencer, I'll take you back to something you're well aware of is on July 5th, the Pac-12 announced that its board of directors authorized the league to immediately begin negotiations for its next media rights agreement. So the league is trying to figure these things out. They're trying to come together, as you mentioned, and stay together is the biggest thing. But in the world of college athletics, that's always an unknown because there was this thing called the Alliance not so long ago, the ACC. The Big Ten, the Pac-12 all together, and the Big Ten turned around and swooped in and did exactly what the alliance was supposed to prevent, taking from the other schools. So it's always up in the air, and it makes sense that the Pac-12 is trying to move on this now and get into it. So let's start with that. Do you think it's a good idea for the Pac-12 to be getting ready and gearing up for these media rights talks so early? Well, first of all, with regards to the the so-called alliance, it reminds me of uh, something that was very briefly, an internet meme from uh, an Oregon football play many years ago. The Ducks had an interception. A guy's running it back, and he goes down the sideline. I think it was against Michigan State back in 2014. And you can see one of his teammates ahead of him leading him forward, saying, come on, come on, come on, I'll block for you. But then an offensive lineman comes charging in from the side, and the guy who said, come on, come on, was actually like a defensive back. And he got the hell out of the way while the ball carrier was absolutely leveled by a 300-pound mountain Oh, man, that's kind of what it felt like with the Big Ten alliance here. Like, yeah, 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 no, 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 we're good. Oh, by the way, watch out. You're about to get blindsided, and I'm not going to do anything about it. So uh, with regards to the media rights conversations, I I don't know how you can have those sorts of talks when you don't know who's going to be in your conference. Uh, Unless the Pac-10, we're going to call it that for now because that's essentially what it is, and and that's what they're negotiating as right now until they could add – more member schools like a San Diego State, Fresno State, Boise, UNLV. I mean, there are a number of Mountain West options there that could potentially be viable. That's, of course, where Utah came from. So there's some history there in that sense. But I just don't know how, if you're George Klyovkov and his media team, broadly speaking, you can go to networks and say you should pay this amount and you should set up you know, these arrangements and have this when you don't even know who it's going to be. I mean, you know, USC and UCLA won't be there, though. I saw a report. We're recording this on Tuesday from front office sports today talking about how the California, the UC Board of Regents might try and stop UCLA from leaving. That's all I will say. I read it. You can go check it out as well. I'm not a lawyer, so I'm not going to go into how all of that works and the power dynamics at play in that situation. But that could throw a wrench into things in a major, major way if, if it were to come to fruition. But it's not a, a hot topic, at least at this point in time. But if you're the Pac-10 right now, you, you don't know who you're going to add, right? You can't even go to networks and say, well, you know, we're, we're anticipating we're going to be able to get these schools. Or we're, we're anticipating, you know, these programs have said they're going to stay. But nobody knows, I mean, someone might have told an athletic director at Oregon or Washington or Utah or Arizona State might have told you, oh, yeah, we're committed to the Pac-10. That is until the Big 12 comes calling and says, by the way, we're going to offer you more money than what the Pac-12 can get you. And so that's something else they have to factor. I mean, there's a lot there to to, to break down with those discussions. We could probably do 30 minutes on, on, on all of it. But just to condense it down as best I can right now, 
Klyovkov is in such a terrible situation. None of this is his fault. This is all Larry Scott's fault. Uh, not Well, not entirely, but like 90%. This is Larry Scott's fault. And so he's in a tough spot where he's trying to clean up the mess because he has to convince the schools to stay. He has to then bring that assurance of the schools staying, which might not be a very easy sell, to a network like ESPN and convince them to pay a sufficient amount of money and then also potentially sell them on what expansion teams the Pac-10 might add, like a San Diego State or UNLV, and maybe sell it. But again, that, those talks haven't even gotten off the ground. There aren't even rumors or speculation about it. Just talking heads like me have said, hey, that seems like a viable team or option because of the media market that they're in and, and the history of the program or whatever you know, the, the case may be there. It could be something that, that takes place. I don't know how you have that conversation. I don't know how you make that sales pitch. I mean, how do you walk into, uh, I don't know if they're doing it on Zoom or in person, whatever. How do you walk in with a presentation and say, here's the future of the conference and here's why you should want to invest in it when there's a very realistic scenario that the conference doesn't exist in five years or less? So it, it's you, you have to do it, though, because you have to have some sort of, it, it's sort of a chicken or the egg situation because you have to be able to convince the schools you have now remaining in the conference to stay and you have to have a TV rights deal that convinces them to stay but you can't get that TV rights deal if you don't have assurance that they're going to stay right because ESPN is not going to pay a bunch of money for the Pac-10 if Oregon Washington and Utah bolt for the Big 12 they're not going to go for it and why would they so there are a lot of complicating factors there, and it's about as close to an impossible situation as you can be in um, uh, unless there are you know, legitimate deals taking place behind the scenes with regards to conference solidification rather than realignment and you know, other big words that make me sound smarter than I really am. So I, I think Klyovkov is in a, a, a tough spot there. With, with regards to having to balance all of that out. Um, and so it may seem early because on the one hand, it is early to start those media rights negotiations. But on the other hand, if you don't, it seems more likely that you could lose some programs and schools to another conference who already have a deal locked in place. And they could say, these are the dollar figures we're going to be give you, giving you rather than the PAC 12 saying, here's what we might be able to give you. And we hope we're going to. So that's, um, I can't say I've seen like a, I've seen a dynamic like that before. And it's one that I'm glad I don't have to be in the middle of. Yeah, you're absolutely right about Kalyovkov Kale- uh, uh, being in just a horrible position. I mean, it doesn't matter who comes in and is the commissioner for these first couple of years of the conference. UCLA and USC do what they do because there's an opportunity to make more money with the Big Ten because of the some, that contract that was put in place by Larry Scott that's kind of landed the Pac-12 in this position. They still bolt. So there's I totally agree. Nothing he could do there. And it does make it tough when you're negotiating with these TV deals like you talked about. You're like, well, yeah, Utah, yeah Utah's going to be here. Yeah, Arizona, Wisconsin, um, or Washington, Oregon, they're all going to be here. But then it's like, well, how do you know that? It's like, oh, they, they told us. It's like, well, I mean, what does someone's word mean <laughs> when it comes to this stuff? The only thing that matters is contracts. And I don't think 
any of these, I don't think any of these schools and money. Yeah, exactly. And money. <laughs> and I don't think any of these schools are just jumping up and down like, oh, let's lock into something here. When once again, it could put them back a little bit, because as we know, the Pac-12 in terms of revenue compared to all the other conferences is drastically lacking behind. And their one big moneymaker who's kind of gearing up that's got people excited is gone in the conference in two years. So it's a really tough break. But I think it's something looking at it from Utah's perspective. I think it's something no matter what happens with all this, Utah is going to be able to be okay because they have been such a consistent team nationally these last couple of years, going to the Pac-12 championship two of the last three seasons. And I mean, in a position this year to possibly go to the college football playoff even. So I feel like you, I, what I hope Utah does is just for now, I would like Utah to at least stay pat for another year, stay in the conference, do the best you can focus on this year, especially because I think it's a lot more attractive if you're trying to sell yourself a year from now, whether that is to other conferences or if someone's maybe they're starting the basics of a super conference and Utah gets the first invite. If they are, let's say, back-to-back Pac-12 champions, maybe Rose Bowl champions, maybe they get in the college football playoff for the first time. All those things are more attractive and all those things can't be added on your resume until a year from now. So personally, I hope Utah kind of waits and then figures it out. But if you think the, if you're the Big 12, if you're Utah and the Big 12 approaches you about coming over, what are you saying right now? I, I'd listen to that offer and, and I would you know, understand the, the, the entirety of what that, what that entails and and what you would be able to achieve there. And then you'd go back to George Klyovkov and, you know, say, so what exactly are you offering to us here? And, you know, what exactly is the future of the conference? Are we going to be able to add more teams or are we going to be able to merge with uh, maybe the ACC? That's something I'm going to talk about in an upcoming episode on my show, Locked on Pac-12. Because I think that would be an interesting uh, and, and a big-time power play for, for the conference. But again, that's not something where you just snap your fingers like Thanos and, you know, all of a sudden you have the, the outcome that, that you're desiring there. So uh, I think Utah, if they got an offer to go to the Big 12, I imagine they take it. And I don't know why they wouldn't because are you going to be significantly less competitive in the Big 12 than in the Pac-12? No, I, I don't think so. I, I mean – Without Oklahoma and Texas, who are still going to be there for uh, a few more years, we'll, we'll see if they end up leaving before 2025. But uh, that's the other thing you have to factor in is like that happens after USC and UCLA go to the Big Ten. So, it, you know, it's right around the corner, but it's also something that's not happening this year or even next year. But if, if you go to a Big 12 and your headline teams are Oklahoma State, Baylor, Maybe Texas Tech, TCU can get back to what they're capable of being. And then you throw in Cincinnati, who was just in the playoff. They're going to add Houston, BYU. It's a pretty deep lineup of teams. But can Utah compete with and beat any of those programs? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, when you're talking about realignment in the context of the Pac-12, some programs are going to be okay no matter what. And when I say be okay, I mean the future and potential promise of their program and what they can do for their fans in terms of on-field success is not going to dramatically change. And the formula for success is not going to dramatically change no matter what conference they go to. I think Utah falls into that category. I think Oregon's in that category. Washington probably is there. And the Arizona schools, I again, don't feel 
like they're, you know, I, I think it'd be tougher for them in the Big 12. I think they're better off to, to try and win games in, in the Pac-12, but would it change dramatically? No. Um, but, you know, it, it's the other schools that that I feel like could could struggle at, at times, you know, and really find or have a tough time finding their footing on the recruiting trail, finding their footing uh, on the gridiron and actually generating the sort of results that that fans are looking for. And, you know, some schools might end up in a I mean, I think there's a foreseeable scenario where if these Pac-12 schools get poached, then maybe the Pac-12 goes away and then some schools are left to go to the Mountain West. And that's less money, less conference prestige and less national respect and a tougher time recruiting for an Oregon State, a Washington State or a Cal. So it depends. But overall, whether Utah is in the Pac-10, whether Utah is in a new Pac-12 or the Big 12, I think the equation for winning remains the same and the variables are mostly the same. It's just about whether or not they have more money coming in uh, compared to what other potential scenarios would be. Um, I think Oregon's in that mix as well, but I don't think every school in the Pac-12 has that luxury of feeling like, ah, well, if we end up in another conference, we'll be, we'll be okay no matter what. Like I think UCLA could struggle in the big 10. I do like they have not been a consistently good football team for the past decade in the Pac-12, which has been down. And now you're going to go to the Big Ten, which is tougher and deeper. I, I, I don't see that working out super well. And USC, a little bit of a question mark uh, right now. But Lincoln Riley's probably going to be able to win games just fine. So it's not the same for everybody. But Utah, I, I definitely feel like Big 12, Pac-12, Big Ten, whatever, uh, th- th- they'd be fine and they'd be able to compete. Yeah, and Utah outside of Oklahoma last year would have been the top team in that conference in terms of record-wise. Which Baylor would have been right there too, but those would be if those two if those two conferences, let's say, combined right now, excluding the USC since they're leaving, those would kind of be the two teams. And just guys goes to show you what a brand Utah has built that they would be better than a lot of those Big Twelve teams just in recent memory. So I yeah, think ba- I think Baylor would have been one game ahead after the regular season because Utah was one game was, ahead. Okay, because Utah was nine and three. Yeah. I think mm-hmm. Baylor was I think Baylor was 10 and 2 and then they won the Big 12 championship 11 and 2 and then they won the Sugar Bowl uh to go to go 12 and 2. But but again, the the, the point remains the same. That was just a semantical uh semantical correction there. But like the point remains the same. They're a comparable program from a pedigree and winning standpoint as the top schools that are going to remain in the Big 12. Like I don't think of Oklahoma State or Baylor, which would be the top two, certainly, along with Cincinnati. I don't think of those those football teams and think, oh, my gosh, they're just miles and miles ahead of Utah. Like, like no, that's just not that that's not reality at, at all. And so they would certainly be one of the top teams if they went to that conference. Yeah, and, you know, speaking of, we just talked about these top teams. Now let's talk about some top performers on Utah's team. Let's talk about Cam Rising, who yesterday we touched on on Locked On Utes, was named to the Maxwell Award watch list, and then today gets named to the Davey O'Brien Award watch list. This is the nation's top 35 quarterbacks. It's a prestigious honor, and it's not surprising to see Cam make the cut for it, especially when you say it's 35 quarterbacks. I mean, Cam is is the best quarterback returning in the Pac-12. I said returning for a reason. We can have the 
USC Caleb Williams debate, of course, all day. But I think in terms of returning quarterbacks, Cam is the best. And Caleb's going to put up a lot of numbers. They're two very different quarterbacks as well. Cam is definitely going to throw for less interceptions. Caleb's going to throw for a lot more yards. We know that. So it'll be, but that's the debate for another day. Either way, Cam, he's a great leader for this team. He waited for a little bit, kind of watching Tyler Huntley starting out at Texas as well. And recently it's been kind of his time and it's not surprising to see him get recognized with this award is he is the biggest reason, in my opinion, that Utah had their turnaround last season. Yeah, I mean, they made the starting quarterback switch and then boom, they they took off and went, uh, I believe it was nine and one after the after the one and two start after, you know, there, there were some preseason expectations for Utah last year and how could there not have been? And it was certainly disappointing to lose to, to San Diego state and to BYU to respectable non-power five programs to be sure. But uh, if you're the Utes, you got to win one of those games. And so they, they made the switch and that was obviously the right call. And I, I think Cam rising is a guy who you, you watch him play and not, not the biggest arm, not the flashiest, not the fastest, but he's one of the best. And that that's what it comes down to is you hear it all the time. And I don't think it's underused at all. Uh, I know some people get tired of it, but some people have the it factor and some people do not, but you, you can't undersell the importance of that because it, it's true for any position, but more so arguably at, at the quarterback spot, because how many guys come out of, of high school as a three or four star or maybe five star recruit and, you know, have all the physical gifts, but don't pan out the way that a lot of their fans are hoping when, when, when a guy's recruited, it, it, it's the, it fact, like there's no other way to explain it. Some guys can process it better than others. Some guys can read defenses better. Some guys have a better feel for the position. You can't quantify that in, you know, a, a composite ranking, which I'm not trying to, to bash on here because I refer to them all the time. I think they mean a lot and speak to a player's, you know, potential ceiling and, and floor as, as a player as well and how he can project. And it, it does impact how good of a player you can be, but also you, you don't know when, when guys are, are going to pop. I'm an Oregon fan and the two best quarterbacks of my lifetime for the ducks are Justin Herbert and Marcus Mariota. They were combined six stars there were three three stars apiece. Like they, they were not big time blue chippers. So some guys pop, some guys don't. And I think when you look at Rising, he's just he's just solid across the board. He makes good decisions. He executes. He knows where to go with the football. He's a leader in the huddle. Uh, I mean, there's so many things that that he does well that are not you know the flashiest. He's not going to be a top quarterback prospect like Caleb Williams will be in the NFL draft. But he, he's the classic guy who. Any team in, in college football will take him as their starting quarterback, and Utah certainly no exception to, to that statement. And having him back this year is one of the reasons that the, the Utes are, are my preseason pick to repeat as uh, Pac-12 champs. And Spencer, that's why you can come on Locked On Utes anytime, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I totally Good agree to with know. what you said. And while you're talking about all I could think about was Tate Martell. I mean, this is a guy who had all the physical traits in the world, should have been a surefire thing at Ohio State, then he's at UNL, then he's got my, or excuse me, eventually UNLV, but for, at Miami trying to be a receiver, like it's just, it's wild. And it's because he just could, couldn't click in college. And you talked about it with Cam processing defenses and how about stepping up under the bright lights? I mean, yeah, it's all right here. Up. It's yep. right here. Quarterbacking is right there. Peyton Manning didn't have the biggest arm in the world. Nope. Why is he one of the best ever right here? Mm-hmm.
Absolutely agree. Cam has been lights out in those categories. I mean, Rose Bowl, I mean, you're going against C.J. Stroud, who's going to be a top three pick in the NFL draft next year. And he looked now he did not play Stroud, but it looked like, man, like he belongs like he belongs on the field with him. He's making throws there in this game. And if Cam doesn't go down, there's still a chance that that is a different game, too, even though the sack put him in bad position that he ended up taking that gotten hurt. But either way, yeah, Cam's a phenomenal player, absolutely deserves to be on this watch list. And it's going to be interesting. I mean, this is a Utah team that's going to have a lot of these guys named to these different watch lists because they return so many good players. And it's a reason why there are a lot of people's picks, including your Spencer, and no surprise, mine to repeat, too, as Pac-12 champs. Yeah, I, I just think that, and that's a, a big time longer longer conversation as to why. But they just they bring back so much talent, led by Cam Rising and Tavion Thomas, and you know Kyle Weddingham is always going to have them competing on on the defensive side of the ball. And uh, losing Devin Lloyd hurts, but I, I think uh, Diabate is a nice addition, and they, they've got some players on the back end as well. I, I just think that they're they're the most well rounded, and you know Oregon might have. Um, a more talented roster from a recruiting standpoint, and they bring back arguably the best offensive line in the conference. But we don't know what Dan Lanning is as a head coach. I, I mean, we as Oregon fans, we have ideas of what we hope he can be, and, and there's certainly you know a number of things he can do better right away. But he's got a first-time, full-time play caller in, in Kenny Dillingham as his OC. We, we don't know if he's going to be good. We hope he is. Past results at uh, other schools would indicate, yeah, he. he Probably will, but do you know? No, you, you don't. And um, I, I know that Cam Rising will be good, and Tavion Thomas will be effective, and Utah will be physical, and Kyle Whittingham knows how to manage games. Uh, and that, that's why I'm going with the Utes. Because the other two schools that people pick, Oregon and USC, again, I think there's a lot of promise there. I think they can certainly be very competitive and, and will be competitive. But at the end of the day, I, I've got a lot of questions about What's USC's defense going to be? Is everything really going to click right away with all the transfers in Lincoln Riley's offense? Is the offensive line going to be able to hold up uh, if they were to sustain an injury or two because you read USC stuff and they talk about the, the lack of depth on the offensive line and is the defense going to allow 35 points a game? or So, you know, so there's just uh, a, a lot of questions there and Utah just doesn't give me too many of those. There are some, but there's not that many. For sure. And what, and we just talked about it kind of as well. You mentioned the two uh, Oregon quarterbacks, Mariota Herbert, the low star guys that ended up really working out and booming. And that's something Utah never has a great recruiting class, but they always get the most out of their guys. So yep. I think it's why they're most people's pick and it takes time to build a program as well. I'll say that too. Absolutely. And even though some of those guys who crystal ball brought into Oregon, they, they stayed there as well, but some of the guys, and I do think Dan Landing is going to be a really good head coach up there as well. It just usually takes hope so. a bit. So yeah, exactly. I hope so is true, <laughs> but we'll be interesting to see how it all plays out. Just as it's going to be interesting to see how all this conference realignment talk plays out. And if that's something you guys want to hear more of, make sure you check out Locked On Pac-12. Go over, follow Spencer McLaughlin on Twitter at smalls underscore 55.com. Spencer, what do you got coming up on Locked On Pac-12? Uh, it's all it's all realignment talk uh, at, at the moment. There will be season previews as well, talking about preseason awards stuff and uh, which players could pop. I mean, all, all sorts of stuff covering uh Every team and, and everybody in the Conference of Champions, free and available wherever you get your podcasts or here on YouTube as well. And if you want Oregon Ducks-specific content, you can go check out Locked on Ducks. I host over there and talking about everything you could ever want to know uh, about the Ducks. But, JT, great to make my, my first appearance here on the show, and uh, definitely will not be the last.
Absolutely will not be. Appreciate you joining us, Spencer. Make sure you guys go down and follow us on Twitter as well, at Locked On Utes. Appreciate you guys for joining us on this edition of the Locked On Utes podcast. That's going to do it for today, but we'll see you tomorrow.